Welcome to the GiveWell Podcast. GiveWell is a nonprofit dedicated to finding outstanding giving opportunities and publishing the full details of our analysis to help donors decide where to give. One of our core values is transparency, so you can find more information about what we discuss on our website, givewell.org. I'm Sean Conley, a research analyst here at GiveWell, and I'm here with GiveWell's co-founder, Ellie Hassenfeld. We're going to be talking about GiveWell's current number one charity recommendation, the Against Malaria Foundation, and what makes it our number one recommendation. The Against Malaria Foundation distributes insecticide-treated bed nets in Africa to prevent malaria. Let's start by talking about those bed nets. What are they, and why do we think they're such a good program? Uh, thanks, Sean. There's three main criteria we think about with respect to programs that we're considering for recommendation. They're how strong is the evidence that the program works, how cost-effective is the program, meaning what type of bang do you get for your buck, and whether they have room for more funding, which, which means whether donors can give additional money and have that go to increase the amount of the program that's happening. And so BedNets really stands out on all three of those fronts. The evidence that they work is extremely strong. There are more than 20 randomized controlled trials that show that when you give out nets, people tend to use them, and they reduce cases of malaria. And in some studies that measured it, they also prevent deaths. The cost effectiveness is as strong as any other program we've seen. Our, our best guess is that bed nets save a life for every $3,000 that donors give. And that includes all costs, the, the overhead costs of the organization and the cost of monitoring the programs themselves. The, there are a lot of caveats that go with that number, but I think that's a, a reasonable rough place to start. And then finally, they have room for more funding, which means that there's a big gap currently for nets globally. And when donors give additional money, we think that that money will go to get more nets to people who, who need them and otherwise wouldn't have them. Great. So let's let's talk about those bed nets a little more. So uh, like you said, they reduce cases of malaria and, and even childhood deaths. Are there long-term effects from the program? Well, and the way that we think about the the long-term effects is primarily primarily on on reducing mortality. And so when the the time period in a person's life in, in Africa where they're most at risk of dying is in the first five years of life. And when someone makes it through those first five years, they tend to live a relatively long uh, you know, life. And so therefore, I think the biggest long-term effect that bed nets have is that they prevent deaths in those first five years when the vast majority of malaria deaths would occur. And then the people they save tend to live, you know, pretty healthy, normal lives. There's also, you know, another type of impact that we think bed nets may have is that they, they allow children to be healthier in early childhood. And there's some evidence to suggest that this may improve their ability to uh, earn more money later in life. Um, you know, that, that evidence is a little shakier than the randomized control trial evidence that I mentioned with respect to reducing deaths. Um, but it's another type of long-term effect that we take into consideration when looking at this program. So I know a common objection to giving out bed nets is that people use them for, for fishing or, or as hammocks. And uh, what, about, what, have, what have we seen about that? So I think the best evidence that we've seen implies that this is really not a very big problem at all. There are large-scale global health surveys 
that ask people about whether or not they, they have nets and whether they've slept under those nets recently. And in most cases, the, the, the evidence shows that people are using the nets as intended and, and the sort of sensational claims that nets are being used inappropriately are relatively rare. Uh, the, you know, I think that in many cases when nets are distributed, there's also some sort of follow on monitoring and you know, that's actually especially the case with respect to the Against Malaria Foundation, whom we recommend. And that's another way that we end up being confident that the the nets that we're supporting via AMF are used as intended. So what about that monitoring? Uh, talk a little bit more about how that works and what they find. So I think there's there's two basic types of monitoring that you'll see. One is the general global health monitoring, and then one is AMFs specifically. The, the general global health monitoring primarily comes through something called the demographic and health surveys that's funded by the U.S. government. And these are well-funded nationally representative surveys that go around and ask people questions like, do you own a bed net? Did you sleep under a net last night? Uh, and questions like that. Now, I think it's reasonable to ask whether or not people's responses to surveys can be trusted. Um, but, you know, our impression is that these questions are specific enough that people are relatively unlikely to directly uh, lie to, to a surveyor. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of what the evidence shows with the demographic and health surveys is, is or DHS surveys, as they're called, is borne out with the AMF data. Um, in, in AMF's case, people will go around and actually look to see whether the nets that were distributed are in fact in place in a in, in the individual's home. And so they're able, the monitor is able to verify that themselves and both show very high rates of ownership, uh, net, net hanging where there's nets hanging where they're supposed to, and then people reporting that they use them as intended. I guess the final, the final thing I'd like to add there is, um, you know, there's really, what we know from the initial randomized control trials is that malaria cases fall and deaths are prevented. And there's very little evidence to suggest that the types of responses that are being given to ongoing surveys differ substantially from what was seen in the randomized control trials around net use. And so I think it's reasonable to extrapolate that when seeing similar responses to questions of use, uh, that then implies, you know, a similar outcome with respect to mortality. So we've seen in these original randomized controlled trials that uh, when they measure malaria rates and deaths, that those fall when people are using the nets. And what you're saying is that when people are using the nets in new places now when they're given out, we should expect or it's reasonable to expect that malaria and, and deaths will also fall, even though we're not continuing to measure those uh, with every distribution. That's right. And so a question that we had when we first encountered the randomized control trial evidence was to what extent were the efforts undertaken during those studies very different than what would be undertaken now to ensure net use. And uh, there's there's a spreadsheet that links from our bed nets intervention report on our website where we compared the results in the trials to ongoing results and the efforts made in the trials to what we could anticipate happening today. And we didn't see very big differences, except in some cases. There were a small number of cases where the 
the researchers, when they were trying to answer the question of whether or not the nets are effective at all, did make extreme efforts to increase net usage. And so I remember at least one case where researchers were knocking on people's doors or peering in their windows at like five in the morning to determine independently whether nets were in fact being used. And so that's the type of action a researcher could take that could lead you to be to, to no longer think that the trial evidence is representative of what's happening today. But that was very much the exception rather than the rule. And so the general theme was that net usage seemed relatively similar in the trials to what it appears to be today based on survey responses. And that's how we extrapolate the, the effects. There have been attempts made, and in, in the Against Malaria Foundation did this, to measure changes in malaria in the areas in which it worked. And for a variety of reasons that I'm happy to go into, that ended up being challenging to measure. And so we don't have that type of data for their distributions. Yeah, let's talk about that. So there's the, the idea is you could measure malaria, and then you go and the Against Malaria Foundation gives out a bunch of bed nets, and then afterwards you could measure malaria again. And if the program is working, you might think that malaria should have fallen over time, but but there are problems with doing that, and why don't you talk about that? Yes, the biggest problem is that the data quality is extremely poor. And the way that this plays out in most cases is AMF had the idea to go to health clinics in the areas in which it was distributing nets and collect data on malaria rates in the time period preceding the distribution and then in the time period over the next several years while the nets were in use. And what we would have, one would expect to see is that malaria rates would drop significantly from before to after the nets are distributed. The problem is that the clinic data on which this type of analysis relies is not high quality. And there are many reasons that this could be the case, but one of the primary reasons in malaria is that people will present at a malaria, at a clinic and say, I have a fever. And the clinician may just decide that that person has malaria, and then that person would be marked down in the log that ends up feeding into the data as having malaria, whether or not they actually have malaria itself. Uh, there are now people often use what are called rapid diagnostic tests, where they're able to quickly get an objective measure of whether or not the person has malaria. But those tests are not always in stock, they're not always available, and therefore, it's we don't really have data available, or at least we hadn't as AMF was trying to undertake this analysis that could show the change in malaria cases very easily. Uh, and so what you ended up getting much more of in the data that was available was changes in clinician behavior or changes in access to rapid diagnostic tests rather than clear evidence of a change in malaria cases. And this is really just one example. There's several other causes of, of poor or even potentially misleading data when it comes to clinic reports of malaria cases. Right. And so that, that makes it really challenging to see changes in malaria over time that you can attribute to the bed nets. But as we said earlier, because we have these original randomized controlled trials that were able to establish a relationship between bed nets and reductions in malaria, uh, and that people seem to be using them in a similar way, as they did, we're, we're pretty confident that the Against Malaria Foundation's nets are reducing uh, cases of malaria and, and deaths when you look at the whole picture. Yes, I'd say that you should distinguish between the, the fact that I agree with, that giving out nets is going to, is likely to save lives and reduce malaria, versus 
having directly measured that effect in the case of, of AMF and its ongoing distributions. And so we're comfortable saying the former because of all the, the evidence and the ongoing monitoring, but we do not see the latter. No one is out there measuring that people people you know are not dying or dying less or that malaria cases are falling. That's that's not the type of data that we have access to. Right. All right. So what about what about the cost? You mentioned that it's around three thousand dollars per life saved. So uh, where does that number come from? What's what's the cost of the program and uh, what does that number mean exactly? So you know what we're trying to do is say when you take all the costs associated with this program, the the bed net that costs usually around three dollars, the costs of uh, shipping those nets where they need to go, distributing and then monitoring the program, you know you, you take all that and, and you get to a cost depending on the area that's four to six dollars per net distributed, and then we know that nets will cover roughly two people the last a few years. We you know, also know that some nets get wasted, um, that some nets no longer remain effective over time. Uh, we also have a sense of the, the baseline mortality rate, meaning how many people would die from malaria in the absence of being covered by nets. And so what we try to do is put that all together and come up with an estimate of the total amount of money that you have to spend in order to save a life. And our current best estimate for that is around $3,000 per life saved. So I think three thousand uh, dollars can be tough to understand when you first hear it, especially when you uh, don't have a good sense of of what other programs might might cost and, and what the benefits might be. Um, but we think that's one of the most cost effective programs that that we found. So could you put the, that number in any more context? I mean, I think it's hard because I think a lot of where that number comes from, what that number means to me is really how I relate it to other programs that we've considered. And so our best estimate is that bed nets altogether are about five to 10 times as cost effective as uh, cash transfers and about as cost effective as deworming programs. And I think the big challenge in, in reaching those types of conclusions is that the programs are having very different types of effects, and mm-hmm. so that type of that type of ratio. When you're trying to compare a program like Bednets, which primarily is saving lives, versus a program like Deworming, which is providing drugs to treat parasitic infections in the developing world, which is primarily improving lives, we're necessarily starting to make a comparison between how much you'd like to improve a certain number of lives versus the benefit of saving lives. And that's a pretty tough comparison to make. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when, you know, we, we do try to do that type of comparison, but what that figure really means to me is I haven't found, we haven't found any other programs that are much significantly more cost effective than nets. And right now our, our, best guess is that deworming and nets are the two most uh, cost-effective programs that we know of. Yeah. And I, th- I think a thing that can be important to understand is it's not just the cost of giving someone the net. It only costs around $5 to give someone a net, but not everyone you give a net to would have died from malaria. Most people uh, who receive them 
wouldn't have died without them. But many people who you give them to would have died had they not had the net, the net to protect them to. And so that's why the number is $3,000 to save a life rather than you know $5 to give someone a net and save a life. So what about the uh, the organization, the Against Malaria Foundation? We talked about bed nets have really strong evidence that they're improving people's lives. It's a really cost-effective program, really good bang for your buck. What is AMF's role in this process? Well, they're, they're a funder. And what that means is that AMF itself has funds available and they will negotiate with countries and local charities to figure out how to distribute nets across the country to cover everyone who needs to be covered. The big value added that AMF has relative to any other organization that we've seen is, is really their, their monitoring and their transparency. No other net organization that we've come across is tracking net ownership and use in the way that we've seen AMF do that over time. And so with AMF, you can go and, and go on their website and look back at the first big distribution that they, they supported in Nicheo, Malawi back in 2012 and see over a three-year period how frequently people had the nets in their house, how frequently they reported using them, and what the condition of the nets were in addition to how many nets just went missing. And in most cases, the figures look pretty good, but there are certainly cases where you see nets being being missing or net usage not being as high as you'd otherwise like. You certainly see net the nets falling into more disrepair over time. And we actually see this as a pretty good sign because it implies that the monitoring is picking up the reality of what's happening on the ground. So AMF's monitoring is, is one piece. And then the other is their transparency, which comes across both in their publishing this information on their website, but also in their readiness to share everything with us, really be an open book about their successes, their failures, and the challenges they face. And that's something that we value a great deal in an organization. And so that this, this transparency is the other part. And then finally, I think my guess is that because AMF is taking this rigorous approach to monitoring and being transparent, it is likely that their process of figuring out where to go to give nets and how to assess the pro- how promising an individual opportunity is will end up leading to better results. But that's not something that you know we can easily substantiate. I'd say it's more of an intuition based on the other positive factors we see about them. So how do they choose where to operate and, and where they're distributing these nets? The process is primarily one of, of talking to the people who are trying to fill remaining bed net gaps and finding places that need funding for nets, wouldn't get it otherwise, and then are ready to participate in AMF's monitoring process. Um, and this is something that has sometimes been a struggle for AMF over time. And we wrote a lot about this back in 2013 when we, when we uh, stopped recommending AMF for a year because we didn't think they needed additional money. But, you know, primarily they're trying to identify places where their funds can fill a gap. And, you know, our, our understanding is they've done a pretty good job finding places that 
finding places where if the, the in the absence of AMF money wouldn't have received nets and, and people would have been left uncovered. You know, one of the things we've done is even gone back to negotiations that AMF was involved with, but then didn't end up funding. And in most cases, those are distributions or those are nets that were never distributed. And so the people were just, you know, left left uncovered. And so I, I do think AMF is doing a, a good job finding those locations where their funding is really necessary to fill the gap. And so it's people who had AMF not gone there wouldn't have gotten nets anyway. And, and so the, the uh, targeting that AMF is doing is getting nets to people who, who really need them. Yes, and the way that we know that is by looking at places where AMF considered going, but then didn't end up going. And so then we can see three years later whether or not a distribution ever occurred, uh, and we we see that it didn't. And right. so we know that their funding would have made a difference there. Right. What about the the frequency or, or intensity of malaria in these places? We talked about how in these original randomized controlled trials, you can look at the usage rates, and they're pretty similar to how people are using them now, and, and so you don't think things will be too different, but... Uh, is AMF going to places with comparable levels of malaria and, and disease where the you might expect the nets to have as big of an impact? I don't know the... I think there's a general answer and a specific answer to this question. Um, the general answer is that malaria nets, malaria rates remain high. And so AMF is going to places that are, that need to be covered by malaria nets or the people are at risk of, of death. There's a, a narrower, more specific answer to this question, which is that the relationship between how malaria scenario is and mortality and nets is complicated. Mm-hmm. Because in a, in an area with one, the, the, one might say in an area that is very highly malarious, this is a place where nets would be very effective. Um, and in a place with less malaria, they'd be less necessary and therefore less cost effective. Uh, but because Nets don't cover people uh, around the clock in areas that are extremely high, have extremely high rates of malaria. Nets can be even less effective because the you can and, and this is sort of like overly simplified, but you can imagine the level of malaria sort of overwhelming the nets, and so the the protection that the nets provide and actually reducing their effectiveness. Uh, so this is something that we this idea, the more complicated idea, is something we looked into very briefly a few years ago, but um, you know never never quite nailed down the the analysis. And I think the the sort of big answer here is that you know as far as as far as we know the you know the areas that AMF is going into are you know at a level have a level of malaria that's consistent with nets being effective. So the you mentioned at the beginning that that the third big thing we really care about is what we call room for more funding. So the idea that we don't just care about whether a charity has done a good job in the past, but actually what will money go to in the future, and and is it the type of program you want to support? And uh, the Against Malaria Foundation and, and bed nets in general do really well by this metric. Yeah, I mean, as far as we know, there's just remains a, a very large gap for nets globally. Uh, I think the best current figures are on the order of 200 million nets are needed by the end of 2017 that we don't expect to be funded. 200 million nets comes to a total dollar cost of around $800 million. And while I think we expect some of that gap to be filled, it, I would be shocked if the whole gap was filled by the end of next year. And so this is a cause where putting more money in seems very likely to lead to, to more nets getting funded that otherwise would not have.
And so what's the relationship between that overall gap and uh, AMF's ability to take in more funding? You mentioned that we took them off our recommendation list for a year at one point, and, and now they're back on. Well, I think it's just two separate questions. You know, one is whether there are opportunities to fund nets globally, regardless of whether they go through AMF. And then the other question is AMF's specific capacity to move money out the door. And so to date, AMF has successfully signed deals in the range of several deals in the range of, I believe, three to $10 million a piece. And you know, in order for us to be confident that AMF could move significantly larger sums out the door, we'd want to see them develop a track record at uh, progressing progressively larger scale deals that they're able to complete. Yep. But they've completed a sufficient number of deals in recent years to have given us confidence to put them back on the list. I'll That's right. So up. just to sort of nail down that chronology, they uh, agreed to a deal in Malawi in, I believe, 2000. 11 for about a million dollars. And then over the next few years, they signed several smaller deals in the in the range of half a million dollars in different areas of Malawi, uh, all with the same distribution partner, which is AMF's term for the organization that is actually working to distribute the nets. And so in 20, but in 2012 and in 2013, they failed to reach additional distribution deals with new partners and new locations. And then at the end of 2014, they signed a new deal with um, a group called IMA World Health in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And so AMF to date has signed two big deals uh, or has two partners in two locations. And so that's sufficient for us to say, you know, we'd like to now see them have the chance to do more. But the overall track record is still, I think, smaller than we would ideally like to see. And I suspect we'll know even more about AMF after they've had the opportunity to do a few more deals over the next several years. Right. So what about uh, risks or, or downsides of this program? So I know one big one is insecticide resistance. So these bed nets are treated with insecticide, which kills the mosquitoes, in addition to blocking them from biting people. And the that can that's a big benefit because it means it can protect people who aren't even using the nets by reducing the number of mosquitoes carrying malaria in the area. But there's some evidence that mosquitoes are developing resistance to this insecticide. And how much of a problem does this seem to be? Insecticide resistance is the biggest worry we have about the effectiveness of nets. What, we, what we've seen so far is there's a great deal of evidence that insecticide resistance is emerging among mosquitoes. There is much less evidence that this is having a direct effect on how effective the nets are in the field. And there could be different reasons for why this is the case, but I think, I think that does still remain something of an open question. One of the, but nevertheless, it's, it's a question that we are, are very focused on. I think the global malaria community as a whole is very worried about and is conducting research to try and get a better handle on how much of an impact insecticide resistance will have on bed nets effectiveness. It's also a question that AMF and its distributions is participating with researchers to get a better answer to this question by working with researchers in the UK to measure insecticide resistance levels and impacts in areas that they're distributing nets to. And then finally, I mean, one, one thing that is, is worth keeping in mind is that nets, even without insecticide, remain a protective barrier against mosquitoes. And so you can look back at randomized controlled trials where they compared 
bed nets with insecticide to nets without insecticide and compare those to areas where they uh, compared nets without insecticide to people who were uncovered entirely. And it can give you some sense of how effective nets are just as a protective barrier. And so, you know, when we think about this cause and our assessment of how effective it is per dollar, we're trying to take that estimate. We're building in that uncertainty to our overall estimate of AMF's effectiveness per dollar. Um, and, and, and we are currently discounting the effective nets to some extent because of the the, the existence of insecticide resistance. Great. So how can people donate to the Against Malaria Foundation? Uh, it's really simple. Uh, pretty much every way that you can think of to transfer money from your account to a charity's is an easy way to do it. So you can uh, go on AMF's website and donate directly. You can also do so through our website. Both we and they accept checks, bank transfer, stock donations, um, and so all that information, I think the easiest place to, to find it is, you know, either going directly to their website against malaria.com or our website, giveall.org slash donate, and you'll see that information. Great. So just to wrap up, do you want to summarize the case we just made for AMF or what they do and, and why they're recommended? AMF is uh, an outstanding organization in terms of their transparency, their competence, and their monitoring and they're implementing a program that is, is, you know, honestly one of the best programs we've ever come across based on its, the evidence that it works, its cost effectiveness and the need for more funding. Uh, and so altogether, you know, right now, today, AMF represents the, you know, the, the best giving opportunity that I know of. Well, that wraps up today's discussion. Thanks a lot, Ellie. And thanks to you for listening. If you're interested in learning more about the Against Malaria Foundation or the other charities GiveWell recommends, our full report is on our website, givewell.org.